Welcome to our community. We hope you enjoy this message from our special guest. Hello, ICC, IFGF, Bali, Ron Parrish here. I am so glad to get to share my heart with you today. Uh, I am so excited about the vision that Pastor Don has communicated throughout our city for prayer walking. And for some of you, I know you Indonesian friends are prayer driving, maybe on a motorcycle or maybe in a car, because uh, walking a neighborhood may not be that, that normal for you, unless it's a really mewa, really nice perumahan. But I get it, and I'm so excited about it. In fact, I've been out, my wife and I have been out prayer walking, and I want to today bring you a warning. I want to I want to encourage you, but you may be discouraged by what I say today because something happens when we're calling on God for our city. I've known that. I've, I've been in ministry many years and been prayer walking in many locations. Uh, in the city where I was a pastor, we would mobilize churches to pray and, and God changed our city through prayer walking. And so I know that's going to happen, but he also changes us as individuals, as Christians who love God and love people and who are willing to, to walk in front of a house or many houses and begin to cry out to God, bless these people, grace, mercy, show yourself to them. Something happens in our heart. Today, I'd like to show you an example of what can happen in someone's heart from the book of Acts. And if you have a Bible, you may want to turn to Acts chapter 17, verse 13. We're going to set the background we're actually going to focus on verse 16, but I want to read the background. Why is Paul in Athens the setting, the backdrop for the story? Paul had just been to the city of Thessalonica and then on to the city of Berea. And um, he had been successful in both of those cities, except he had stirred up people who were against the gospel and had experienced some persecution. So let's pick it up in verse 13. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. And the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. And those who escorted, escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left him with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So Paul said, hey, I'm waiting here, but you go get Timothy and Silas. Meanwhile, I'll wait. Now, remember two things. One is that Paul had been very successful, many new disciples in Thessalonica, Berea. This looks like it's his first time to the city of Athens. He always worked with the team. He was by himself. We don't know where he was staying but imagine him stay, staying in a guest house or maybe in the home of some believer that, that's there. And then I want you to look at the next verse because this is extremely important. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed. This is the New International Version to see that the city was full of idols. Now, I want you to notice that Paul was greatly distressed. Um, some translations say he was disturbed or his spirit was provoked or he was troubled. And the word there is really intense. And so the question that 
came to my mind years ago reading this is what? The apostle Paul, greatly distressed. Paul was a chill guy. Paul was a guy that knew how to walk in the peace and victory of God. Paul knew the joy of the Lord. So why was he distressed? Why was his spirit provoked? Why was he troubled, disturbed? And I I have some thoughts about that. And this is my warning to you. This could happen to you because it's happened to me on a number of occasions that I've been prayer walking, that I've been in areas where I know there are very, very few Christians. I've traveled many places in the world where there are very few who follow Jesus. And I've experienced what Paul experienced in that first century AD when he was there in Athens. His spirit was greatly distressed. Now, the text, Dr. Luke says, to see that the city was full of idols. Now, if you know anything about Jewish history, you know that Jewish people, and Paul was a Jew, hated idolatry. They had learned their lesson through centuries of being led into idolatry and then experiencing the wrath of God, the punishment of God, after they rejected the prophets, after they they continued to worship idols, God came in and corrected them. And so by this time, by first century AD, every Jewish person was like, no to idolatry. They abhorred it. They despised it. They, they were, they were anti-idolatry for sure. Now, I want to say and submit to you that Paul's experience was more than just of a first century Jew. He was a follower of Jesus And because of his relationship with God through Christ, he saw the city of Athens different than other people saw it. He saw it through spiritual eyes. He saw it, as it were, understanding God's heart in the city. So I want to suggest that he's experiencing two things. So Paul's walking these streets, seeing the idols, but more than that, he's seeing the people. And there are two reasons that Paul was experiencing this incredible sense of troubledness, unsettledness. Another way of saying is, you know, something, something's not right. In Bahasa, Texas, we say, it ain't right. Something's not right. So what was going on? Paul, number one, was experiencing God's, God the Father's heart for the people of Athens. God was giving Paul a download. You see, the the structure of the verb there was something that was acted upon Paul from without. This, This stirring didn't come from Paul's own character. It came from something without. And I believe it was the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was troubling. The Spirit of God was stirring his heart. And if you know, and you know Paul knew the teachings of Christ, One of my favorite teachings of Christ is in Luke 15, where he talks about, he gives three parables, all with the same theme. And the the theme, as you look in your Bible, is the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. But in reality, those three parables describe the father heart of God. You see, Jesus told these three stories because the Pharisees and teachers of the law were saying, Jesus, you can't be from God. You love sinners. You love to eat with them. Even worse, they love to be with you. And so you can't be from God. And Jesus 
then proceeds to tell them, you know what? God's really like a shepherd who went out of his way, who left the 99 and went through the brush looking for the lost sheep. He's actually like a woman who lost her coin, who, who searches frantically looking throughout her house for that lost coin. And then God's like a father whose rebellious son left home. And even though it had been months, maybe years, the father saw him from afar. Why? Because the father was eagerly looking for the son to return home. You see, that's the heart of God. God is a God who loves lost people and is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, as the scripture says. And Paul knew this about God the Father. Paul knew God's character, God's heart. Paul walked closely with the Father. And and as the Father's heart broke for the people of Athens, so did Paul's because he loves the Father. Years ago, we were, had, had prayed for uh, Aceh. And uh, I yet had never been to Aceh. I'd been to many parts of Indonesia where there are very few uh, Jesus followers. And during the crisis of the tsunami, uh, my daughter was living here in Indonesia. We had a team from our church in Indonesia. And they got up to Aceh and said, Ron, if you could bring a team of doctors and nurses, we can get into the very hardcore Worst place hit by the tsunami in Aceh. So we, we, we rallied some people from our church, doctors and nurses. I went, I came as an interpreter. My wife came as an interpreter. Back then we were living in Austin, Texas, working as pastors. And so we had a team of 15. We landed on the ground in Aceh. By the grace of God, a miracle, we got taken into an area that had not been served by helicopters. And we spent over a week creating a medical clinic in a mushola, a, a mini mosque, and we treated 300 patients who, were, who had lost everything. Many of them had cuts and bruises. Many of them had illnesses worse than that. Many of them had uh, illnesses as far as digestive illnesses because they had ingested a lot of water. And we were there for, for those days treating 300 patients. And I want to tell you, I was moved with compassion so many times during that week. I felt God's longing for the people of Aceh. I felt his heart, his passion for those people. And I, I'm not that much of a crier. I have a pretty low mercy gift, but I found myself overwhelmed. And for weeks after we got home, back to America, I would wake up in the night and be weeping, literally, wake up weeping, I would be driving down the freeway and it would just, just compassion would come over me. And I believe that this is what's happening to the Apostle Paul. He's experiencing God's heart for people. You know, we know that Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. I love the way the Passion translates it. Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature. His mirror image. That's a passion translation of that. And so Jesus, in all of his actions, in all of his words, in all of his attitudes, he was showing us what God is really like. And so when this phrase happens, 
like in Matthew 9, 36. And when he saw the crowds, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, that's a really interesting word there. Uh, the Greek word is splagnizomi. Now, why am I saying that? Because it's really interesting because the, it comes from the root splagne. And splagne is the seat of the emotions in the Greek-speaking world. The splagne, my splagne is stirred. Now, in English, the seat of the emotions is what? The heart. Uh, Indonesians, jantung, you know? For the Indonesians, what is the seat of the emotion? Your hati, your liver. And so in Indonesia, you know, you tell your lover, uh, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, hey, my liver's quivering for you, baby. So that, you know, that's an expression of deep level love, you know? But in Greek, the splagne is the, is the intestines. It's your guts. It's the very center in their mind of your emotions. And so this word splagne means intestines. And so Jesus literally was being stirred in the very core of his emotions when he saw these crowds, these people that were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, that word's used often. It's used when he saw uh, blind people. It's used when he saw a widow had lost her only son. Jesus was moved with compassion. We see him often stirred by the spirit and he acted on it. He always did something in response to that being stirred by the spirit. And so can I say what's obvious? That the very spirit that was in Jesus was also the spirit that came upon Paul, that spirit of compassion. One time Jesus was overlooking Jerusalem and, and you remember this this, this lament, this like anguish of his heart, this longing, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. You see, Jesus didn't say that with a smile on his face. He didn't say that saying, you know, like happy. He's saying that, in a place of deep heaviness, maybe tears. That's what happens sometimes when the Spirit of God comes upon us as we're praying for people, as we're seeing people with his eyes. We experience that same compassion. One more example from Paul's writings. Paul wrote this himself. For Christ's love compels us, he says. Christ's love compels us. We're convinced that one died for all. Now, that word is also really interesting when you look it up in the original language. Sunecho is the Greek word. And, and it's, it, to define it, you often want to see how else it's used. You know, how else is it used in the New Testament? How else is it used in Greek literature? And it's really interesting because it has five meanings. Look at these meanings. Besides compel, hymns us in front and behind or controls us. Some translations translate it, controls us. It urges us on. Christ agape love urges us on. Or listen to this one. It's sometimes used if someone's thrown into prison. Sunecha. Christ's love imprisons us. We're like, 
captivated by it. And then finally, it's sometimes used for when you get a disease, like COVID, Sunecho us. It's, it, it, we're infected with it, you know? And by the way, I'm not, and hopefully you're not, and hopefully we won't be by the grace of God. But the point is, we can be infected, as it were, with the love of God. And that's what happened to the Apostle Paul. And I want to guarantee you that as you walk our city and drive around our city, and you're praying. Now, some of our prayers aren't answered, but this one's always answered for me. God, give me your eyes. Give me your heart. Give me your passion for people. He'll do it. And it's a compassion that overwhelms us. But there's also a second thing that's going on in the heart of Paul. I believe with all my heart. And it's different than the first. It's not just compassion. But what it is, is a holy jealousy. That God be known and honored and worshiped for who he truly is. That God be honored by these people. See, Paul saw this city full of idols. There were so many different kinds of idols in the city of, of Athens. There were estimated at least 30,000 statues and almost all of them put, depicting some god or goddess. And there were all kinds. There were Greek gods, you know, the pantheon, but there were also foreign gods. And anytime someone came up with the idea of, of a god, then they would try to depict it. So you could honor it. You could put an offering in front of it. Front of it. You, could, you could bow to it or put it in your home. And there were thousands of them. Now, does that sound familiar? I think it should for us who live on this island. And yet all those, those idols represented false gods. And behind them were spirits of deception. So it really bothered Paul that those Athenians were deceived and confused about who God really is. Paul was bothered by that. It disturbed him. It troubled him. When he knew that they were giving allegiance, they were giving offerings, they were giving devotion to something not worthy of it. Where in reality, God, the creator God that we know through Christ, the loving father that he is, the, the kind, generous creator God, all-powerful way above every one of these other gods is not being worshiped, but instead they are being worshiped. And you know what? Honestly, in all love, that should bother us. That should stir us up. That should, that should make us say, you know, this isn't right. And, you know, and we don't say it with a smile on our face. We say it deeply troubled. And it leads us to intercession. It leads us to do what Paul did. And we'll see that in just a moment. But it leads us, as our hearts are transformed, seeing people through God's eyes, knowing that the story of the Bible is a story of God's glory. From Genesis to Revelation, there's this theme, this thread that runs through it, that God longs to be known by those he's created. God longs to be reconciled to us, to humans, and us to be reconciled to him. God longs to gather us, you know, and hug us and, and express his love to us, but he's also worth our devotion. He is so worth our obeying him. He's so worth our hands being lifted up. He is worthy 
of his praise being sung in every island where there are people, every suku, every people group of Indonesia and throughout the world. He's worthy of every household pausing and taking time to pray and to love him and to know him through his word and to serve him and obey him. God is worth it. See, he was troubled that those who were created in God's image, the Athenians, and who were created to be like him were actually becoming like some other God or goddess or demon. And that's what happens in worship. See, we become what we worship. And God had created us to delight in his presence and him to delight in us. And because of that, it was not okay with Paul that the the Athenians weren't giving God the glory. They were giving other images the glory. And that was troubling to the, the apostle Paul. And so I hate to be the bearer of such a warning to you, but it's real. When you and I are seriously saying, God, we really want to care. We really want to experience what you sense for people. And in the process, we become aware of this even greater motivation. You see, it's not about human need only. It's not about, oh, kasian, or let's, let's care for the people that are, that are being ravaged and hurt economically. And we do care. And by the way, we're part of, you know, like many of you guys sharing our, our food and our wealth with people because we, we care. But there's an even greater motivation working in, in us, not just on a human level, but the fact that we're connected with God and we know his glory. And we want, as the prophet Habakkuk said, the knowledge of the Lord to cover the earth as the, as the waters cover the sea. We want him to be known. We want him to be famous. And throughout the, the law and the Psalms and the prophets, and especially in the life and ministry of Jesus and the apostles, everything is pointing to the day that people from every tribe, people from every island of Indonesia, and hopefully people from every area of our city will be standing before the throne with that great multitude saying, worthy is the Lamb of God, worthy is the Lamb of God, as depicted in Revelation chapter 7. That's the heart of the Father, that he be known. Now, I want to jump down and look at the next verse, and then we'll close with this verse, because it's very interesting. It says, Paul was greatly disturbed in his spirit, provoked, stirred up. He was, uh, he was even, maybe some translations translated angry. You know, there was this like heaviness in Paul. And notice, it doesn't, the text doesn't say, therefore, he got on his knees and he cried out to God, or he went prayer walking. It didn't even say that. Because Paul got it. You know, Paul got it. And so what he did is he went out and he reasoned in the synagogue. He always started in the synagogue with his fellow Jews and he explained the prophecies of the Messiah to the fellow Jews. He tried to persuade them that this is the one we're waiting for. This Jesus is the one prophesied in the book of Isaiah. This is the one that back in Genesis, 
uh, was prophesied would come and step on the heel, that his heel would crush the head of the serpent. This one, Jesus. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers. In other words, Gentiles who become converts to Judaism and in the marketplace, the marketplace, the agora is the Greek word for it. The, the place where people not only bought and sold goods, but they bought and sold ideas. People would hang out in the marketplace and they would, they would interact. And, and Paul, you can just picture him. I can just envision how this happened. Paul, just overwhelmed with the lostness of the city of Athens, had to do something. I've got to tell somebody. And so he knew what he, he did what he knew to do. And so that word reasoned is like dialogue. He would go out, strike up conversations with whoever happened to be there. And day by day by day, he would sow seeds of the good news. And I'm sure he would pray for people. And, I, and we know that he got an open door. He got an open door invited to, to as it were, debate with the philosophers at the Areopagus. Areopagus was a place where, according to Luke, people would come and just listen to the latest philosophy. And Paul showed up among them and explained the creator God and explained the fact that now God's calling us into relationship based on believing him and repenting. Based on the fact that Jesus came, suffered, died, and rose again. And when he mentioned the, the idea that, that a dead body could actually come back to life, the Greeks were like, hey, time out here. That is weird. But hey, would you come back and talk to us about it again? So Paul preached the gospel, having a heart stirred with these two realities, the compassion of God for lost people and the fact that God is worthy of every one of us bowing the knee to him, every one of us giving our devotion to him, every one of us singing his praise. Years ago, when I was uh, a pastor in the United States, uh, I went with my good friend, Jimmy Seibert, the, the pastor of Antioch in Waco. And we were visiting a team in the city of, uh, Kabul, Afghanistan. Now, Afghanistan is a wild and crazy place. And it, I've been there three times, actually. We actually sent teams to that city, that country as well. But this was back under the Taliban. The Taliban were in control. 99% of the Westerners, uh, foreigners from, from Afghanistan had fled. But there was this one team of young Americans who were there preaching the gospel. Now, it was forbidden. It was, in fact, you couldn't even play music. Literally, under the Taliban, you could not play a radio. It was too worldly. It was too Western. It was too irreligious. And so we were visiting this team in their house, and they were sharing with us how they had been sharing the gospel with people that were responsive. And across the street from where we were at, was the local imam, head of the local mosque. Next door was the, uh, the head of the vice and virtue squad. The vice and virtue squad were fanatical cousins out to make sure you're wearing the right clothing and they would beat the women if they saw their ankles and so forth. So it's a pretty, pretty interesting neighborhood. 
And, and as we were talking about the needs of the city, something rose up in our hearts, mine and, and my friend Jimmy and the team there. And what rose up in our hearts is God is worthy to be worshiped in Kabul, Afghanistan. Our heavenly father is worthy to receive the offering that we bring him through our praise and gratitude. And so we pulled out a guitar. It was forbidden, but we pulled out a guitar and we said, it's worth the risk. And so we gathered in a circle. Now we didn't scream, but we sang. We sang and we worshiped. And tears flowed down our cheeks because we were so aware of God's presence in that city that was so dark, was so few, calling on the name of the glorious, holy, powerful, living God that we know through Jesus. And I was so aware that's our calling. And so there's a couple of responses that I wanna, I wanna invite you into as we think about the Apostle Paul's response to a city full of idols. I want you to take a risk with me. And if you haven't been out, I want you to go out at the very least driving through our city with this prayer on your lips or driving through a certain area of our city, maybe an area that you've never been to, praying, God, give me your heart for the city. More specifically, Father, give me your heart for the people that live in these houses. And, and I don't know about you, but it's really good for me to go to the kampungs, to go to the places where there, there are poorer people and, and literally to get out and walk the streets and meet people and, and at the very least, you know, ride a motorcycle through there or a bike and pray these prayers. God, what are you thinking? What's in your heart? What's your vision? What are your desires? What would it look like for the kingdom of God to come to Bali? I was with a group of people last night and we were praying and imagining and actually drawing pictures. What would it look like if the kingdom of God came to Bali and God's will was done among these people? That's why Jesus taught us to pray that. Kingdom of God, come, will of God be done. It was a plea, it was a command. And so the apostle Paul had his heart broke for the Athenians and he acted upon it. We don't have time to go into the, all that he said and all that he did there. But I want to tell you, when Paul left Athens, there were people following Jesus. There were a group of people, even a person who was of great influence following Jesus. Why? Because a man who loved God, and this happens with women who love God, said, hey, break my heart for what breaks your heart. And then we act on it. So, I'm inviting you to pray that kind of prayer with me today. Father, please, may I look at people differently. May I look at people with your heart. Father, stir me, and I'm willing to be awakened in the night to intercede. I'm willing to get on my face on the floor and cry out to you. I'm willing to walk the streets and interact with people and, and believe that your spirit's gonna work through me. My prayer is that by the end of the month, by the end of this prayer walking time, many of you will have moved beyond just caring, but acting upon it, like Paul did. 
Because of that, verse 16, verse 17, he went out and he met with people and he interacted with them and he dialogued with them in order to convey the reality of the love of Jesus. Really interesting day to be sharing with you, you guys. And, and I often pray, God, give me an opportunity to share. I often, if at the end of a week I go, I've had three opportunities to share with somebody, I'm, I'm really happy. And sometimes it's more, but today I had three opportunities to share with uh, both people from my country, well, actually Westerners, a Westerner from another European country and Indonesians. And I loved it. And I drove away going, thank you, God, for the chance to join your love in reaching out to someone. So let me pray for you as we close. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for Pastor Don and his team, the leadership team here. I thank you for, for men and women here who love you. I've, I've been among them. I miss worshiping with them but I know I will. And Lord, I pray that everyone who listens to this teaching would ask what I've been asking many, many times in my life. God, I want to care. I want to care about what you care about. I want to see people with the, the eyes that you see them with. I want your compassion. Move my heart, stir my heart with your compassion. But even more important, give me a holy jealousy that you be honored for who you are. Because I care about you. I want others to know you. Because I care about you, I want there to be thanksgiving rising up to you like a sweet smelling offering into your presence. So Lord, do that in each of our hearts. Change us to be more like you and thus be more fruitful. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you.